Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Lead Her podcast and we have a very special guest today and we're in person which is so nice we're not on Zoom for a change. We have mentioned Jen many times on the podcast always name dropping <laughs> you <laughs> or on my Instagram too. Jen has been a coach of mine, mentor of mine and a friend as well I'd say yeah. now. Um, she helped me so much last year and I would honestly say I don't think this podcast would exist or Lead Her would exist if I didn't meet you Aww. last year and it's amazing to see how far we have come from when did I first contact you oh August August June, September July. maybe last year around yeah. that time of the year is when I when I contacted you yeah. and um yeah to think where we are now I feel like it's been long but also so much has happened and it's also been so quick at the same time so yeah, yeah. um I, I like love Jen to bits she's helped me so much so she was the first person when I started this podcast I was like we need to get Jen Robert on <laughs> the podcast and share your story as well because when I first started working with you at, with a coaching relationship actually it's really hard and you know me I kept trying to ask Jen questions <laughs> and oh, this is your let's session. talk about you and you were throwing it back on me and I found that really difficult because like I think I like to build a relationship yeah and then when I felt really bad when I did start finding out more about you I was like I didn't know that I know I know <laughs> but um yeah you've got an incredible story to share and I'd love if we can share this with our members today so let's start with what you do now and where this all kind of started from yeah so um it's taken me a long time to figure out like what's the what's the title of what I do so yeah I said to someone the other day like I only figured out what I do like this the beginning of this year like yeah. I've been doing it for a long time but I only just figured out what it is so I kind of take two different approaches uh, in my business I'm primarily a, a brain-based behavior change coach um, so I work with people to change the way that they think and the way that they believe to then change the way that they behave um, and I use neuroscientific principles to sort of change the way that people think behave act um, and I apply that in the health and fitness industry so people inside coaching programs I'm really there to support through the, the mental and emotional side of the journey of change so I do that um, and then I also uh, do coach education for health and fitness coaches so I'm currently training to be a coach supervisor um, and I'll be finished that hopefully by early next year um, and uh, basically bringing coaching skill and ability into a sector where we have many coaches but no one has ever really been taught how to coach yeah um so i'm really just uh, i'm working inside a high performance coach with joe yeah. as you know um, <laughs> not a stranger to you um and really just focusing on how we can support health and fitness coaches to to really deepen and enhance the art and the craft of coaching mm -hmm. um, and really bring that through into the medium of what they do um, and I'm an accredited professional coach so I have been an accredited coach since 2020 end of 20 yeah no no 2020 I always forget because that time is just a big blur <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm an accredited professional coach um, I'll go up to the next level hopefully in the next couple of years when I can be bothered doing the application um, <laughs> but right now the next phase in my coach development is becoming a supervisor so supervising the practice of other coaches to make yeah. them better. Amazing awesome and how did you what did you because you did go to university first didn't you you were like me you went to university and yeah. you just got through or did you oh decide? with skin of my teeth yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was a terrible student yeah dragging through it what did you actually do at uni though so for the first two years I studied psychology yeah and then I dropped it because it was too hard 
and I could commit to it. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of changed electives. I did Spanish for a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and then I did politics. So my my final degree was technically politics and sociology. It's mm-hmm. I, I think it, my fi- my degree statement is social sciences. Yeah. But I focus mostly on politics and sociology, and then I had this focus on um, gender. So the mm-hmm. intersection between gender and class was like my final year focus. Yeah. Because um, that was what I was really really interested in. Um, but at that point just to see 41 <laughs> at an exam. I was like, great, past happy days. <laughs> doesn't matter, does it? Nobody, no. nobody looks into those things no. later in the future. Never. So you were kind of going through university, but then how did we get to a stage where you're like, you want to do all this help with coaching now? Like, mm. There's a, a huge mission that we'll discuss a wee bit later as well, but for you to be like, coaches aren't coaching properly. Mm. And I know you had a really kind of tough time in the past yeah. that kind of led to you eventually getting going through different coaches yeah. and yeah. seeing how the coaches kind of worked and then yeah. being like, right, I want to change this industry. But do you mind sharing with us like where you did lose yourself a little bit in, mm. in the past? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really, I battled with my mental health my whole life as far as I can remember. I can remember... I must have been around, all of my mental health had really intersected with my body and my sense of self mm-hmm. since I was a young child. I was a bit of a weird kid, like I really struggled to make friends. I just liked to play on my own. Like my mum used to always see the big kids phone in the house being like, Jennifer come out to play and I would be like, I'm too busy. I am like, tell them I'm not in. Yeah, I'm too busy looking through my spider encyclopedia and trying to figure out what ones in the, are in the garden or polishing my rock so collection. Funny. Like yeah. I don't have time to play with other children, right? So I was a total weird but it's just a geek right yeah. I loved school I loved to learn I hated the summer holidays because it was too yeah. long off school um, yeah. so I was just a bit of a strange kid yeah. um, and I did make friends and stuff but I just could never really be bothered with it I liked yeah. to do my own thing um, so I can remember I must have been maybe around nine or ten I can remember really vividly going on a family holiday when we were growing up my mum and dad didn't have a lot of money so we had never been abroad before so I mm-hmm. think we went abroad for the first time when I was nine or ten and um there's a picture of me and my wee sister standing like back to back with bikinis on so my mum used to call us Mary Kate and Ashley <laughs> and um, we're standing back to back with bikinis on and I'm just a young kid and I can yeah. remember looking at that photo and thinking that I looked fat mm-hmm. and I was nine years mm. old like I was I was just a kid and I've seen that photo as well and it's just yeah it's, it's so sad when like yeah. you think about that and you look at it and I think about like my niece Vivian is nine she'll be 10 this yeah. year and I'm like if you ever felt that way about your body like I don't yeah. know how I would cope mm. um but I can remember that's been the first time that I was quite conscious and aware of my body. And as I, go, as I went through puberty, I kind of put on a bit of puppy fat and mm-hmm. I was kind of getting, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of getting bullied for um, being chubby and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I went to high school and it just got so bad because I was an easy target. I didn't stick up for myself or fight mm-hmm. back. So um, I was a bit an easy, of an easy target for bullying people used to slag with her with a VL. Do you remember that? Virgin Lips. Yeah. I don't like, think Joe, I, like when Joe came to Scotland, there's so many words that I've had to yeah. teach him what they mean. <laughs> that's and I, said, I was like, oh, VL, have you heard of that before? And he's like, nah, no, no clue what that is. No. But yeah, Virgin Lips. No. Means you've not kissed, Means you've not anyone, kissed anyone before. before. Ye
15 or 16 yeah. so I went through it like and the school I went to I went to school and so much pressure to that first kiss <sighs> isn't there madness madness and yeah. like you do it with anyone just to say that you're not a oh, 100% <laughs> and then also couldn't break my VL but also would not speak to a boy so <laughs> yeah. like where was that like what was going to happen there oh, um, wouldn't look the road they were on but was hoping <laughs> that they would just appear at my door and winch yeah. me um, <laughs> so I so I used to get teased terribly for that that old classic I kissed somebody at my grand's but never yeah, true yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just so like insecure in myself mm-hmm. and like getting bullied for like being fat and all that so I first I first went on a diet I think when I was 11 or 12 maybe I can remember restricting my food intake around about the age of 10 but I remember consciously making a decision to go on a diet around the age of 12 and um, my mum still to this day like praises me for it which is fucking weird um, but I remember I used to every single day I'd go to school I'd have a Nutri-Grain bar and the first break I'd have a tuna salad sandwich a bottle of water and an apple and then sometimes I would eat dinner sometimes I would just skip it entirely yeah. and I'd eat that way for like a year um, so I lost all this weight, got so much praise for it. Mm. And this is the this is the really difficult dynamic I think about your relationship with your body is that even though I was restricting my food intake so severely at such a young age, like mm. such a developmental stage in my life, I was praised for doing so. Yeah. Um, and then I can remember probably around the age of like fourteen or fifteen was the first time that I really started to notice struggles with my mental health. Um, it was the first time I started to have like depressive thoughts, suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. um, and I really struggled with those transitional years in school um, because I just wanted to learn and I didn't really want to do any anything else. Yeah. Um, but I was really into music, so music was my whole life. I started playing flute when I was ten. Uh, controversial when you went to a Catholic school in Scotland, <laughs> but um, I started playing flute. No, I was nine. Sorry, when I started playing flute, and I started playing piano when I was twelve. Yeah. Um, so music was like my escape. So all the kind of strange kids in school would flock oh, to the music department. I was in um, a trumpet player. Yeah, yeah. And I hated walking <laughs> to school. West Side of Glasgow school's bloody rough. And oh. I feel like I'm relating to so much of this. It's horrible. Totally. I had my big fucking trumpet case <laughs> but I didn't love playing the trumpet yeah. I just was made to play the trumpet yeah. I, didn't, I didn't value it back then yeah. and I hated I felt so embarrassed walking to school with my big trumpet mm-hmm. and um, I ended up just leaving it in the cupboard and never taking it home and I got into trouble and stuff but yeah I relate to like the, the, the music days uh, yeah 100% and it was like a solace like my grandpa um, was a musician so my grandpa also played trumpet Yeah, um, and he played the organ so he kind of nurtured my musical talent because I was like I'm not a braggy I try not to brag about it but I was really really good like I had a real natural talent for it but I was also very committed to it you have to be so intensely committed um, which I absolutely was so like the music department was a bit of a solace and then kind of the more I hung around there I was in every band choir orchestra you name it there was not a day that I finished school on time because I was always at something after school Um, and then I started to kind of make friends there and started to like went through puberty got highlights started to become visible to boys um, and really sort of started to come into like my sense of self but that was also around the time my grandpa passed away Mm-hmm. my grandpa was a huge huge part of my life so I remember finding that extremely difficult and I had it was the first time I was putting an antidepressant so when mm. I was 16 yeah um and I had to go to, like the educational psychologist and all of that kind of thing so but my whole journey through school was I was going to be a music teacher so I was being primed 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 to be a music teacher I was going to RSAMD I used to go to three 
private lessons just for flute. <laughs> yeah. So I would do an hour of actual playing, then an hour on tone and breathing, and then an hour on music theory. Yeah. So my music theory would cut into piano, then I would do a, a two piano lessons a week. Um, like the the amount of hours out with school that I was putting into this, then I was in like orchestras out with the school. So I was in the yeah. Youth Works Orchestra where SMD and then I was in uh, LOS which was like a local orchestra it It was my whole life like that was going to be my career and then at the last second I decided to go to uni and study psychology and my music teachers were going ballistic (laughs) like I did the same piano teacher all the way through school she was also my higher music teacher and she was like what are you doing like they were so angry at me which I can understand but I don't know it wasn't like a pure conscious decision it was just very much like I don't think this is right for me and Mm. now reflecting back I don't think that teaching would have been the right path for me I just don't think it would have been I would it would have been great getting to like play music every day and stuff but I I don't know something was just telling me it's not for me um and then the when I was 16 um so I'd had like a couple of boyfriends by this point now you have your high school boyfriend (laughs) don't want a VL anymore thank god um and I'd had like a couple of high school boyfriends you know your first high school boyfriend you think that you're in love and you go out for three months but it's like the whole definitive part of your life so funny to think back I know Um, I'm cringing right now oh we've all been there right like the the stuff you say that you're dying about your high school boyfriend I'm like burn it I never want to know (laughs) Um, and then at the age of 16 um, I met my ex and um, we were together for six years mm-hmm. but that became an abusive relationship so mm-hmm. um, that relationship was the toughest period of my life so from the age of 16 to 22 um, I was in an abusive relationship and it's hard because sometimes when I at first when I would look back I thought it was only abusive once we lived together and actually now that I've been through therapy and I've reflected in the whole time, it was abusive from three months in. Um, And the challenge is I was abused in every way that a person can be abused, physically, sexually, financially, emotionally, like there was everything present in, in my abusive relationship but the main component was emotional abuse and coercive control. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty with coercive control is that there's there's no evidence. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard for me. Can example of that for anyone who doesn't know what that is? Yeah, coercive control is basically like ma- the manipulation, them using manipulation tactics like gaslighting, mm. um, things that make you feel like you're going mad, humiliation. Yeah, you're making things up. Yeah, you're making things up. Or um, people who are coercive control, they're primarily narcissists. Mm-hmm. So what narcissists will do is everyone who meets your abusive, your narcissistic partner will say, what a lovely guy. Mm. He's so charming. And that's exactly my ex was like, so charming, could work the room, polite to people, mm-hmm. friendly, but behind closed doors was an entirely different person. Yeah. Um, so when you are experiencing the person that they are behind closed doors, you don't feel that you can speak to anybody about it because they're like, he's such a nice guy, mm-hmm. such a polite young man. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, so they deliberately use manipulation tactics, control tactics, um, which were present through our whole relationship, but escalated to a point when we lived together that was just unmanageable. Yeah. Um, he would control what I ate, what I wore, how many times a day I showered, the order in which I did things, who I could spend time with, mm-hmm. when I went to work, when I didn't go to work, and uni was a huge component of that. I was going to ask you that, because that was 16, so you apply for uni when you're like 
17, 18. Yeah, yeah. So did, did that affect you dropping music? Oh, or I, I think, you I don't that? know if it affected me dropping music. I definitely, I can remember I applied to, applied to King's College London and got in. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was going to go to KCL and that was going to be the thing that I was going to do. But then I met him and decided oh, I don't want to go to London because yeah, I've got a boyfriend. Either. So yeah. stupid. I but know. when you're young, you don't think these things through. Yeah. Um, and then we were together when I was at uni. Um, and our, that whole situation was so chaotic. I was like very um, entrenched in his life. So there was a lot of family drama. His dad passed away when he was quite young. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of just strange dynamics with his family that a lot of the time I was going on to save the day and rescue and support his mum and his sister and try and support yeah. him. And there was just a lot of drama all of the time that I sort of Exhausting. get wrapped up in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was at uni, I worked two part-time jobs as well and I tutored piano. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I was working three jobs, so, like, mm -hmm. there wasn't... And the way that I was brought up was, like, you work, you make a living, like, you just... You need to make it work. Um, I didn't really get, like, much help financially, so I was, like, I need to make sure that I can survive. Um, so I just never really had, like the time or the mental focus for uni and my mental health was just getting worse and worse mm -hmm. and worse so by this point I'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder mm -hmm. and I was put on an antipsychotic and a really high dose of an antidepressant so for years I was just numb like I just yeah. didn't feel anything um, and just really um, attempted suicide when I was 18 like just really really horrific battles with my, my mental health and mm -hmm. the difficulty was is that because I had already struggled with my mental health previously I just assumed that this was the way that I was yeah so when I was going to see therapists or counsellors there was a huge component in my life that I was not sharing with them mm. but I didn't yeah. know I was being abused yeah so it's yeah. hard so young to, isn't it mm -hmm. you, like mm -hmm. you always think oh when you're 18 and 19 you're an adult but I don't think I was an adult until I was at least 28. Oh, <laughs> even minimum, <laughs> minimum. So it's such a young age to really understand something like that, I think. Absolutely. And I yeah. think as well, like, the traditional definition of abuse is physical. Mm -hmm. So when I think, when I was younger and I thought of domestic abuse, I thought yeah. of, like, Trevor and Mofi standards. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. Our, that was that. what we were. Yeah. That was what we were, like, you know, led to believe mm -hmm. was. So because that wasn't happening to me, I was like, oh, well, it must be somehow my fault. Mm -hmm. Um... It must be the way that I am. Um, and then, obviously, through this whole time, food became a massive source of comfort for me again. Yeah. It's, the, it's that, like, constant through my life mm -hmm. that food was always the source of comfort. Yeah. Um, so I put on loads of weight, lost it, put it on, lost it, put it on, lost it. Like, yo-yo dieted for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. um, but he would, like, he would kind of humiliate me for like you're fat you're ugly you're disgusting nobody will ever yeah. find you attractive but then if I lost yeah. weight I was punished for that as well yeah because then I became attractive and that's not what he wanted yeah. so it was just a really hard dynamic to like live in never mind try and get a degree in yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. you know so okay. um so by, by some fucking miracle I managed to get a degree with the absolute skin of my teeth mm -hmm. um and I can remember, so that would have been 2014 I graduated and right before that, um, so 2013 I 
lost all the weight and like was living my best life. Uh, and don't get me wrong, like sometimes when you talk about being, because it was I was so young, mm-hmm. I did miss out in loads. Like I didn't get to go to the part with my pals. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to go girls' holidays as much. Like I yeah. did get some of those experiences, but not to the extent that I should have. I didn't really get the chance to live like a normal like late teens, early 20s kind of life as I should have. Um, so like 2013, 2011, I kind of started going to Archie's, right, going raving, loved yeah. it, like best days of my life. Um, and I just started to come into myself a wee bit more, I think. And you were still in that relationship at that time? Still in that relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I remember going to Ibiza in 2013, my pals having a great time and just sort of being like, this is what life, this is what my life is supposed to be like. Like, yeah. I'm not supposed to be trapped in a flat, like, mm. on a Saturday night in fucking fajitas. And, yeah. like, something as well that, like, there's so many things that are overlooked when you're in the dynamic of an abusive relationship that, like, you don't get to eat the food that you like. Mm-hmm. You have to eat the food that they like. You don't get to yeah. listen to the music. I didn't listen to the songs that I liked for years, yeah. films that I loved. You don't get to, to do any of that. So you don't really get to be a person. Yeah. You become a person that is orchestrated around not pissing them off. Yeah. So you become a version of you that, you know, you can live in that dynamic with. It's like survival, really, 100%. isn't it? percent You just try to survive and get yeah. through each day and do anything to 100%. please everybody else. 100%. Um, but I remember going to Ibiza in 2013 and loving it and having a great time. And yeah. it was almost as if he's seen that in me and it was like, nah, come back into the clutches. So um, I moved in with him in 2000 and I think the end of 2013 so we would have lived together for probably about a year and a half Mm -hmm. and that's when it really escalated to a point where I just felt in constant danger still didn't know what was happening to me but like just the aggression like just just a really terrifying situation to live with I was kind of confined to one room for most of the time so Mm -hmm. um that in itself was just like being in a prison cell most of the time, trying to pretend to family and friends that everything's normal and everything's okay. When in the inside, I'm like, I think that he's going to kill me, and yeah. I think um, it's it's a it's a, it's a tough one because you don't. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew I was in danger. Yeah. So, like you said, I'm surviving, surviving through the danger. Um, so graduated in 2014. Um, and I worked in um, a call centre part-time, so I was working there full-time for a year just for money because I was bringing in all the money pretty much into the house. He worked like four hours a week. Um, so I got in loads of debt trying to just keep the lights on, choosing between heating and eating. Like We lived yeah. in like severe poverty. Um, so managed to somehow survive that whole year, which is just a wee bit of a blur. Um, yeah. And then kind of 2015... It would have been maybe April time. I went to Benidorm with my pals. And I'd only been that one girl's holiday at Ibiza. And then the abuse got worse after that. So in my yeah. head, I was like, yeah. what's going to happen if I go here? Yeah. Uh, so I went to Benidorm for five days. I had the time of my life. Go see Sticky Vicky? Uh, we didn't actually. Oh, we were invited. <laughs> we were invited to go and see Sticky Vicky. But um, no, I was too busy chatting up boys, to be honest. Ah. <laughs> living, my, living the life that I never got to live. Yeah. Um, and he used to always tell me that like, I'm not funny like yeah. I'm unattractive mm. and then all of a sudden I was getting chatted up making people laugh. and I was making people laugh and I was like hold on a minute yeah. like something's not right here mm. so I feel like that was the mindset shift for me that was like ad- something's not adding up yeah. went home things just got worse and worse and worse um, and then on a random Tuesday afternoon um, 
I was, he was at work, he worked at uh, Domino's at the time, so he would work at night. I had just come in for work because I worked during the day. And I can just remember sitting in the bedroom and my friend phoned me and she was like, what are you up to? And I was like, I think I'm going to leave. Yeah. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I, I just think I'm going to leave. Yeah. And I think sometimes people maybe assume that it's like a planned thing when you leave. Yeah. Um, and for some people it is. Like, But for me it was just like, it was almost like a light bulb moment. I was like, yeah. I need to get the fuck out of here. And the difficulty is, is that you know in the back of your mind that at some point you're, he's, they're going to kill, he's going to kill yeah. me. So yeah. I think by this point I'd recognise that if this continues, I'm going to die. So yeah. I need to get out as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. And I put on um, The Man Who by Travis, great album. Um, packed as much stuff as I could. I was cramming yeah. stuff into bin bags and Asda oh bags. We and we were scared. Petrified. Yeah. Petrified. Yeah. Because so a woman... Um, a woman, statistically, a woman will try and leave an abusive relationship seven times yeah. before she's successful. So I had tried to leave him multiple yeah. times. We broke up yeah. tons over yeah. the years, but you always get sucked back in. Yeah. And um, But it's statistically seven times before you leave successfully, but a woman is most likely to be killed when she is leaving. Yeah. Um, so I remember being like, if he comes home, he's, he's going to kill yeah. me. Yeah. So, th so the fear that's like coursing through you, and I just packed all this stuff in a bag. I can remember we were in the first floor tower and I heard like a noise coming out the lift. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, it's him. And I was like, right, I'll just jump out the window and run. Yeah. Um, and like I was about 18 stone at this point. So I don't know where I was running quickly, but it's survival instinct. So yeah. um, I managed to get all my stuff. We were engaged by this point. I can't get yeah. my 19th birthday. Grim. Yeah. My friends used to call me a child bride. <laughs> um, I left my key, my engagement thing and a note. And I was like, yeah. I've, I'm not coming back. Like, don't contact wow. me. And I drove to my mum and dad's and um, I had on Flowers in the Window by Travis. So this is on mine and my husband's wedding video. It's like yeah. our song, my freedom song. Yeah. And um, I put that song on and I just drove away and I just like, I didn't even cry. It was like, I was elated. Like yeah. I can't describe to you the feeling that, because I was like, I'm fucking free. Like I yeah. never, ever need to go back. Wow. Um, and then everything just, my life just changed for that point on. Yeah. Whew. I know. <laughs> How long was that? Are you brave? Let's <laughs> you down. It's absolutely roasting in here. So if you're watching on YouTube, I think I'm adding more sweating. heat. In. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure. So, if just I know you're not maybe qualified to say this, but if anyone was in that kind of situation, what would maybe be something that you would say could be a first step to help them in any way? Because, like you said, it's yeah. really, really hard and yeah. really difficult. But a lot of people. Yeah, going it, I, I think going. yeah, I think if you recognise any of those things that I've mm. said in yourself, women's aid were women's aid saved my life. Yeah, um, they made me believe that there was an alternative when I thought I had no way mm. out. Um, and I actually used to sit on the board. I volunteered as a board member at Glasgow East Women's Aid for years, just yeah. as my way of giving back. Yeah, they were so supportive. They were so validating. Mm -hmm. Um, because. I didn't know what was happening to me. So just to have people validate it, to support me, to help me stay away. Mm -hmm. That's also a really, the probably the hardest bit, getting out is one part, but staying away yeah. was really, really hard because he became even more manipulative. He used to yeah. me, leave my voicemails, tell me he was going to kill me and all that. Like yeah. he used to turn up places that I was. He joined my gym. He'd never been yeah. to the gym in his life. Like yeah, 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 just yeah. they start to like, it was like stalking behaviour. Yeah. Um, 
and the police are not interested in really until something actually happens to you. So they were so supportive um, with me at that time mm -hmm. and just helping me to stay away. Mm -hmm. um, so 100% women's aid, you'll have a local women's aid in your area. Um, they have been the most, the biggest support to me in this whole journey. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, amazing. Thank you. And then what did Jen do with her life after that? Like, Oh, man. You obviously didn't keep working in the call centre. No, moved I did on. I did. I did. So I got um, a graduate job with NHS Scotland mm -hmm. uh, on their management training scheme. Uh, this would have been towards the end of 2015, maybe the November. So I just had that like chunk of time where I was just living my best yeah. single life. I was catching up for lost time. Amazing. My pals used to call me Tinderella. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I love as well? If you are watching, like you can just see you smiling and you just look. Such a happy time. Look back at that time. Just You can see it on your face, yeah. the energy that you're giving out, just thinking about that time. It's and so that nostalgic. Because like, mm. I, I, I didn't know who I was, right? Mm. So I didn't know, like I said, I hadn't done anything that I liked mm -hmm. in such a long time. So I was like, I need to go on this journey of discovery and figure out mm -hmm. what do I want for my life? Like, who am I? What do I enjoy? Mm -hmm. What do I want in a partner? Because he was my first serious boyfriend yeah. so I had no comparison for what a normal relationship was other than an abusive one yeah. so I had to figure out like what is the life that I'm going to live for myself um, so I just went and lived my best single life it was so much fun <laughs> my pals were still my pals who I have to this day who were just yeah. immensely supportive they yeah. expected me to be like crumbling and in bits and they were like you just sailed off Flew. into the sunset Flew like away, yeah um so I started, I started with the NHS in, I think it was November 2015, mm -hmm. um, and they said to me, what do you want to do? Like weird, because you would do place, like rotational placements, mm -hmm. it was like a two-year programme, and um, I was like, I have no idea, and I said, I'd done a bit of training when I worked, it was the John Lewis call centre I worked in, I was like, I'd done a bit of training there, but like, I don't know like where else I would go and they were like fuck it we'll put you in HR yeah um, so they put me in HR hated it it was too statistical I'm like a yeah. creative like qualitative person I don't really do data and details um so they put me in there and then they moved me to um a, a, a department called the National Leadership Unit mm -hmm. um, so the National Leadership Unit were responsible for developing all the leaders across NHS Scotland um so this was a this was a national board, so it wasn't like like a territorial board in a specific area. So we were based in Edinburgh, so I used to commute. Um, I'm from Blantyre originally, Blantyre, if you're for the local area. Um, and I used to commute from Blantyre to Edinburgh like yeah. five days a week. It was yeah. grim, but I loved it because it was dead exciting. And I was starting my career. And, yeah. Um, so kind of went into that team. found it really difficult as well. Like, I don't know if you, uh, you will get this, but like, I think when you grow up in a working class area, you're always distinctly aware of the fact when you're not around other working class people. Yeah. So this was the first time in my whole like my whole life where I'd worked someone somewhere that I wasn't surrounded with people like me, people who yeah. spoke like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I'm quite I'm, and I'm putting my phone voice on the now, but like <laughs> you know, I'm really slang. I just talk yeah. the way that like people from my area talk. So I remember getting into. <laughs> 
this office in Edinburgh and they were so posh and I was trying to do like my best phone voice but like <laughs> they just kept coming out I sound like a pure scheme rat and it, they used to make fun of me for my accent they used to say that they didn't understand anything that I said boring um, they didn't know what a munchie box was yeah. and I was like have, have you ever lived they didn't know what being in bargains was wow. and I'm like where have you like where are you from um, so it was just a big like culture shock I think mm -hmm. and then um, I met Sharon who was my first boss and Sharon is still my mentor to this day oh, yes. um, she is just a powerhouse of a woman she's like two kids like very successful um, a wildly successful career had a really tough childhood but just made so much goodness out of adversity her and her husband both he's a um, sheriff like really big high achievers and she was just a total go-getter yeah. and um she we laugh now because like we meet up for dinner every now and again and she's like I'm so proud of you and like where you started she was like because you were a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> and I was just a big ball of trauma do you know what I mean like I didn't really know yeah. how to behave I didn't really know anything about professionalism yeah and she like went through me I remember maybe being there like two weeks and she was like right see that outfit you're wearing you can't wear that to your work she's like your work is a professional environment go and yeah. buy a suit go and buy so she told me everything I had to buy she's like I want you here on time at your yeah. desk like she was so tough love but such a monumental part of my career because she took me everywhere with her yeah. she took me meetings at the government and all that. this stuff yeah. um, so she just basically trained me up in yeah. organisational development yeah. which is what my career was for eight years mm -hmm. I think um, so I just worked my way up the ranks pretty quickly most people come into OD at the end of their career so I was kind of doing it in reverse at the start but I was so like eager and hungry to learn um, that she just pushed me through so much quicker as 100% well, just love something totally totally yeah. and then a job the level up came up and I got it and then the next level up came up and um, I remember saying to her, Sharon, I can't do a band seven, I'm too young, I was 26 at this point. Yeah. And um, band seven's where you start to veer kind of into leadership territory. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't do it. And she was like, yes, you can, can. She was like, <laughs> put in the application, go to the interview, here's yeah. what you're going to do on. I smashed the interview, I got the job and I worked in that job for all through COVID, um, all through the pandemic, which was great. It was so nice to feel like I was making a contribution. Yeah. Because um, my normal job in, as an OD consultant was kind of building services and designing services and then building and developing the teams around those. Yeah. Um, and then I worked with two directors kind of one-to-one, um, so a lot of leadership stuff, um, a lot of kind of whatever those people in a problem there was work for me to do so I loved it it was great and yeah. during the pandemic we um obviously our job was all corporate so there was no need for it uh, during the pandemic but we set up these rest and recuperation hubs in every hospital in the board um so it was just a safe space for staff to come and have a cup of tea and mm. read a paper and not have to think about you know covid and that whole time what they went through was just horrific I remember people just yeah. coming in collapsing for exhaustion yeah. um, it was mad so we would do a bit of coaching there was psychologists providing like trauma support and stuff like that but we had um, we had a grounded cabin crew mm -hmm. who were volunteering it was this thing called Project Wingman and what a laugh we had with them they used to come in with the tea trolleys and not see the trolleys <laughs> for the plane they used to bring them in and they would tell us all these stories they would make everybody laugh they would put yeah. discos uh, like it was just it was such a like horrible that. time but it was like a wee like pocket we had wee bit of um, and amongst all that so yeah mm -hmm. it was I, I, I loved my job but 
there came a point where it was it was time to time to go yeah amazing and it's it, like the reason i wanted to have you here as well is to share such a tough story to then show that how much life you have after that yeah. as well that experience and how things have gone in the right direction for you it's almost like everybody loves like a success story don't yeah, they so yeah. i just love that and and that's not where the success finishes but mm-hmm. that that was success to come out of that relationship and build your life and yeah. find out who you are yeah. as well as a person it's a lot of yeah. work that I had to go into doing that and now we know you're doing different stuff today but during this whole new career and finding yourself again i think we went also went through a process of being like right i want to get better mm-hmm. healthier mm-hmm well maybe just lose weight was your opinion back yeah, then now yeah, it's yeah. more about being and healthier and better quality of life hopefully but yeah. I think you did go through that transition you had a lot of kind of crappy coaches which I think has led you more into your mission and what you told us at the start that you do today 100% so you kind of went through some negative experiences again through dieting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you want to share a little bit of some yeah. of your oh my crazy God. stories but like how we would need i feel like we could do a whole separate podcast yeah, okay, on this right <laughs> um it, there is not a diet that exists in the world that i haven't done um so kind of uh, beginning at two, uh, end of 2015 i met paul my husband mm-hmm. um we had known each other for years i actually met him when i was 19 um and we'd kind of always i i remember him he apparently doesn't remember me because he was so cool he couldn't possibly remember me um but we start we got together kind of very end of 2015 like December yeah um so by this point I'd been in a relationship for a few years early days of our relationship were so tough because I didn't know how to be in mm-hmm. a relationship yeah. so we really went through hell together but he was so patient with me and helping me to learn how to allow someone to love me yeah. um so it got to we got engaged in 2018 and then I had been doing, I mean, by this point, I'd done every diet under the sun. Military diet, Cambridge diet, Juice Plus, Weight Watchers, Slimming World, Scottish Slimmers, uh, 1,000 calories a day, 800 calories a day. Cambridge was by far the worst. I was going to say Cambridge is the worst. Cambridge is brutal. Like, you just don't chew anything. Like, it's just shake shake soups. Like 500 calories? 450 calories. So I was 18 stone at my heaviest, and I was 450 calories a day. And I felt like I was on the verge of fainting mm-hmm. daily and was like, it'll be worth it. Yeah. But the issue is, is that it appealed to people like me because I could lose 10 pounds yeah. in a week. Yeah. So it gave you that big rush, but it was so unsustainable. It was so, it's so bad for yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, the one who used to drink aloe vera juice, living fit or something like that. The, uh, there's genuinely, I don't think there's a diet that I've not done. Mm-hmm. Um, special K, that was another highlight. <laughs> so by this point, I'd gained and lost and gained and lost yeah. so many times. And um, we got engaged, obviously, in 2018. I started, I'd been with so many cowboy PTs. He's still got a PT who used to be with a bin bag when yep, I trained. Yeah, that's what I remember. Because um, he told me that if I sweat more, I burn more calories. Believed it. Um, used to go to this boot camp where the guy used to make, let's, like, carry each other on our backs. And, like, he was actually a really nice guy, but he used yeah. to make you do mental shit. Yeah. Um, and some people love mental shit oh I love mental shit now but like that was definitely like dangerous mental shit like like beyond mental um and I think it was 2017 maybe I started playing American football Mm -hmm. um so my friend's husband um has played American football for years used to play in America and stuff and uh, he played for the Scobride Pirates and she phoned me and she was like oh Stephen's football team are starting a women's team do you want to come and join Mm -hmm. and I was like absolutely not like 
I was the kid that had a note for PE every single week. Like my <laughs> PE teacher used to just see me walking past going to Greg's. Like <laughs> I was not doing physical activity. Um, and she was like, look, just come and give it a try. And if you like it, like yeah. just, just come and see. Went to one training session and the first time I tackled someone into the ground, I was hooked. Um, that was me. Like <laughs> The adrenaline of oh, that, I can imagine. It's so insane. good. And like we used to train on a Wednesday night. So like see we had a really tough day at work. Yeah. We used to do, I can't remember what it's called. Was it Okies? What did we call it? I think, I can't even remember. Yeah. Where you would just be one-on-one with a girl and f- like you first one to the ground. Okay. Like, so yeah. um, there's technique. And obviously my technique wasn't yeah. great. It was more just my mass that supported me. <laughs> um, but I was really, really good at tackling. Yeah. So I was D-line. Um, and I used to just always get them on their arse. Like, yeah. And I remember like coaches saying to me, like, Jen, don't, we're training. Like, don't swipe everybody. Yeah. They were like, go at 75%. I'm like, 100%, 100%. Smashing up. <laughs> it was great. Um, so I played American football for years. Loved it. It was probably my first introduction to like movement that I enjoyed yeah um because movement for me had always been only for fat loss yeah um so I played that for years had to pack it in because I kept getting injured mm-hmm. I snapped my humerus in three places and I was in a sling for 12 weeks and Paul was like he had nah. to wash dry and style my hair and he was like you can't play this anymore um <laughs> so I stopped playing football kind of was trying to find something couldn't really engage with enjoying exercise or, or losing weight or whatever so August 2019 I contacted this guy, Mark Strathairn. Um, so I'd know, I knew who Mark was. We grew up kind of in the same area. Like we lived like mm-hmm. 10 minutes apart from each other. I'd always known who he was. And I can remember like seeing his social media and be like, I don't like him. Yeah. It's not for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Not for me. Like, and he was talking to people exactly like me, which is why yeah. I didn't like him. Yeah. I was like, nap, nap. Doesn't he wouldn't understand me. Um, so I'd seen a girl that I knew get a really amazing result with him. Yeah. So eventually I was like, oh, fuck. Because he was known for being like the best like PT in our area, right? So I was like, fuck, I'm just going to bite the bullet because my wedding was fast approaching. I hadn't yeah. lost any weight. So I contacted him, started working with him online. I was a nightmare as an online client. I just yeah. did nothing and lied about it. I would do like maybe two good weeks and then like fall off the face of the earth and back in, back out. So I bullied him. I was like, please take me face to face. Please take me face to face. So eventually he was like, fine. He just opened up a slot for me. As he was already working like 13 hours a day, right? Yeah. Like, because he'd built his business up to be really successful by this point. So I was like, please squeeze me in. So I started working with him in the gym floor. And for the first time in my life, the, the last PT I'd been at before him was also a cowboy, put me on a starvation diet, started sexually harassing my pal, like he was a nutter. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd felt like respected and mm-hmm. heard and understood. He didn't just assume that because I was carrying extra weight that like I didn't know what I was doing or that I wasn't interested. Like he really took the time to understand me and he knew there was like something beneath the layers but like I'm an onion mm-hmm. so like I'm not letting you in you need to spend time peeling them away and to be fair to me did they peeled away the layers peeled away the layers yeah. um, and we built a really good relationship and then in 2020 obviously the gym's closed mm-hmm. and I remember messaging and I was like do you think like when the gym's like do you know when the gym's are going to open back up do you get any indication of that and he was like I'm not going back in the gym floor I'm going online only yeah. and he was like listen I understand if like you don't want to still be in the programme and I was like absolutely not like mm-hmm. I'll be sticking about um, so I lost like I wanted to lose five stone in six months for my wedding my wedding got cancelled anyway um, but I did end up losing like five and a half stone um, and just really started to like get a whole appreciation for my health my well-being like it was no longer just about the fat loss element mm-hmm. um, which was 
such a transformation for someone like me who my whole life yeah. had been focused around just losing weight and I think that's really influenced why I do what I do now because had someone given a shit about me a long time before like I met Mark how different could things have been for me like don't mm -hmm. get me wrong you needed to be in the right position as well for it to be successful but mm -hmm. it was almost as if he just he knew that I had potential so he, he never gave up on me whereas every time someone else would always give up on me um so I it was genuinely life-changing and has really influenced why I do what I do now because mm -hmm. I'm determined to make sure that every coach leaves the person in a better place than they found them because there's so many people out there waiting for their lives to be changed and like you can be that coach with the right skill and ability mm -hmm. yeah amazing <laughs> <laughs> and um I think I was going to say to you as well like so obviously you were still in NHS you were doing your leadership job smashing it in there and then you met Mark and I think Mark was maybe the first person that was like hey, you know quite a lot of stuff here that could help yeah, yeah. other people that we're working with. So yeah. how did that kind of happen with Mark? So um, 2020, I did my first... Um, so by this point, I'd done um, my postgrad in OD Organisational Design and Development, OD&D. &D. Um, and I, my plan was that I would work my way up in the NHS and then maybe one day in the far off distant future I would run my own business doing OD consultancy. Yeah. Um, so that was the that was the long-term plan at that point in my life. And then in 2020, I was doing my coach accreditation and you need to do a certain amount of like case study hours to qualify. So I was trying to think like who could I make my case study because I didn't really want it to be somebody in work. Um, so I was like, who's the kind of person that I think would be up for something like this so I thought of Mark because at this point he was going through a big transition in his business this was also around about the time I think he started working for Authority Network so mm -hmm. he was in a big transitional phase of his life that coaching would, like, would really benefit him and also it helped me get my qualification yeah um so we'd kind of I'm sure we'd met we'd started kind of meeting up and going for a coffee and going for a walk every now and again by this point and I said to him, look, would you be up for being my guinea pig? Yeah. And he was like, aye, absolutely. Like, this would be really helpful for me. So Amazing. we started, um, he was my first ever, like, proper coaching client, um, which is funny to think. So um, we started doing that work together and then I qualified uh, in 2020. And he had built up his programme to be, like, you know, this big online thing. He was expanding it out. He wanted to hire a team. And he said to me, look, would you consider maybe coming in and doing like a talk for my guys on values or something? And I was like, oh, Mark, I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah. And he was like, Jen, I kind of get you to shut up. Like, <laughs> if anything, as you'll have probably figured out by now, trying to get you to stop talking is more of a challenge. So I was like, look, I'll, I'll do one. I was yeah. like, but I'm not really like, I'll do one and see how it goes. But I'm not really yeah. interested in doing any more than that. And I did my first training in his, inside his community so I did my hot seat in February 2021 and I said, oh, I'd love to work for myself one day, but that's at least 10 years away. And I did it 18 months later. Yeah. Um, and then I did my first training for uh, his guys, I think April, it was right before I got married, April 2021. And I've never left. Yeah. And so basically built. And you enjoyed it. Loved it. it. Yeah. Loved yeah. it. It was, it was so funny to see the fact that like, I know things that are valuable to people. Yeah. You know, like that felt like such an, like an alien Completely concept audience from the people in totally, NHS I guess to totally. general population 100% and then when I first met you you were literally going full-on self-employed yeah. and we'll yeah. just finish up with this and do one more question yeah but like I know what that feels like yeah. when you're finally leaving 
a safe salary and pay and yep. you've worked so hard and built your way up to be like shit yeah like I'm gonna be self-employed yeah and I yeah, remember yeah. just seeing you in that moment and I was just thinking about all these emotions and how were you feeling and and were you scared or terrified pushed you to just do it <laughs> So I think, um, so I, I started, the, the business officially started in October 21. Yeah. I delivered a training for his guys and he was like, I've, my phone is like buzzing with people asking me. It shared a training, I think, in the authority network that I'd done. And everyone's like, can we book her, can we book her, yeah. can we book her? So he was like, how do you feel about it? And I was like, fuck it, I'll just do it. Yeah. So I started, so by this point, we'd moved in with Paul's mum and dad to save for a house. So I literally built my entire business at a fold-out desk in my yeah. mum-in-law's spare room Amazing. with fucking <laughs> and, um, so I used to work full time during the day and then I would run trainings and coaching sessions at night and in weekends so like yeah. I didn't have a day off um, so like really really People challenging time and I think when you're building um, a business massively. it's your baby isn't it yeah. and you just love it and you yeah. you work all these crazy hours looking back now you're like fuck doing that I know, but because you're building it it's so exciting I think totally and it was getting it. it was getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger like it was getting such good responses that I was like I just need to roll with this yeah. so rolled with it um, that time in my life personally was really tough um, my mental health was horrendous and I, I had to go back to therapy because mm -hmm. um, I'd never fully recovered from my trauma mm -hmm. um, so I had to go back to therapy the beginning of last year last year was honestly one of the toughest but most rewarding years mm -hmm. of my life yeah. um, so I kind of worked worked my arse off really to build this business safe for the house so we bought the house in March 22 mm -hmm. and um, I remember Mark saying to me you need to leave your job you need to leave your job and I, yeah. took, I would never have done it had he not no. pushed me to do it and I said, look, I need to buy the house and I need to buy a car because I won't get a, I won't get finance yeah, for a car without yeah. um, if I'm self-employed. I was like, so I need to buy a house, I need to buy a car. And he was like, right, okay. So I bought the house in March uh, 22 and we moved in. And uh, I bought the, he was like, when are you going to look at cars? When are you going to look at cars? And I was like, I'm going, I'm going. So I went to look at cars in the April. And the day I drove my car out that showroom, he texted me and he was like, hand your notice in, hand your notice Love in, that. hand your notice in. So, we all need a mark. In oh, life, like don't he we? just, everything, mark. <laughs> listen, everything that's, ha the good that's happened to me in my life, Mark has bullied me. Between Mark and Paul, they team yeah. up yeah. together and text each other to bully me. Yeah. Um, so, that. handed in my notice and I left my job August 22. Mm -hmm. The job had changed so much that I just mm -hmm. wasn't doing what my job was anymore. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of worked so hard to build it up so that I was in a financial position, a really good financial position to be able to leave. Mm -hmm. And that was August 22. And I've just never looked back. And it's mad because at the time it was so terrifying. The NHS is a job for life. Mm -hmm. You can't be made redundant. Yeah. It's so secure. So to go from that to being like, I need to create my own security mm -hmm. was terrifying. But the best thing that I've ever yeah. done for me as a person a hundred percent. Yeah, and the Jen sitting in a house with a abusive partner. Do you think she could have ever seen you be where you are now in a happy relationship and insane Never. job? And you know everything and healthy. Everything I do now is for her. Yeah. So like I ran a half marathon, my first half marathon last year. I used to drive to the shop that was like a five minute walk from my house. Like I was not the kind of person who did those things. Mm -hmm. So now I'm always like. I'm not the kind of I was never the kind of person who did that so I'm going to go and do that yeah. so it's just it, it's like living a, everything I do now is for that girl who 
didn't think she was going to live. Like, mm -hmm. every single day that I live now is, like, life beyond death. It's like, I never expected to get to here, so I'm just going to keep Go going and it. see where it takes me. And I think it's so important that you transform as a whole person. There's so many elements of my life that have contributed to who I am now that go way beyond like a physical goal, a fat loss goal, a career goal. Like all of these are components of me as a person and I had to do the really tough work in therapy for a year and a half that was like so, so hard, but so necessary for me to be able to continue to live a nice life. So it's almost like, I've never been unwilling to do the really, really tough stuff because I know that it will always pay off at the other yeah. side. Yeah, it always does, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I think staying, when there's no option to stay the same, because no. things would just get worse if you stay the same. 100%. And I'm not a remarkable person in any way, shape or form. Oh, I'm I just, think you are. I know that's <laughs> But like, I just mean, there's nothing like, there's nothing like about me that's like, you know, in, in, like so different from other people or like I have yeah. some sort of unique gift. Mm -hmm. I'm just a normal lassie, for yeah. Blanter. Like I, there's, there's nothing about me that's, I was never like majorly intelligent or really gifted at things. Like I just have an absolute refusal to quit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like that's the thing that always guides me through life is that yeah. I just refuse to quit. Yeah, yeah, good. And one thing, two more things, sorry, I know I said one more thing, but I remember when we were sat down at Joe's, um, what would you call that? Meetup day for all these clients, yeah, yeah, Joe's yeah. event. And you said to me, someone would ask me what I would say to your abuser if you've seen him again. Mm -hmm. And your answer really shocked me, <laughs> but I also thought it gave me shivers as well. Yeah. Because what were you? What did you say? I'd say thank you. Mm -hmm. I'd say thank you. Like I'd probably say fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then thank you because so much of my drive in life has come from being in such a place of adversity that, like, I, I just always call it life after death. Like. Mm -hmm. You, you cannot get to a lower point in life than I ever was there and everything that drives me and I mean everything I do like if I'm running if I'm building a new piece of work if I'm you know taking on something really difficult in my personal life if I'm going through any sort of challenge I do it all for that girl so like without that experience in my life like it should never have happened mm -hmm. it should never happen to anyone but like I hope that he hears me on podcasts. I hope that he yeah. sees reels of me speaking on Instagram. Yeah. I hope that he sees my face when I'm talking at events. Like the the memory of what he did to me mm -hmm. is my justice. So if another woman can hear my experience and make her decision to leave and decide to step into who she wants to be, like that for me is justice. So mm -hmm. I will never shut up about domestic abuse I'll never shut up about my experience because for me it's justice for what happened to me mm -hmm. and it's also making sure that that then has an impact far beyond what it did for me but for other women to know like you can create a life after a life like that for yeah. yourself amazing it's like the whole great lady gaga thing have you heard of lady gaga oh you want to be like a coffee in the <laughs> deli without you hearing my song that's me <laughs> when you were saying that there i was like oh my god that's it there's um i said that um on another podcast but um you ever heard the song silver springs by fleetwood mac uh if you played it i would i don't know so, the names of the song but i do love fleetwood mac so this was just after there's a live performance of it yeah. right so um it was just after uh, Lindsay buckingham cheated on stevie nicks and there's a live in the song and everybody says she's like cursing a minute like she's putting a spell on it eh, on him and she says um 
I'll follow you down until the sound of my voice will haunt you. Yeah. And see that for me, that's like my strap yeah. line. Like I want the sound of my voice to haunt yeah. you forever. Um, because that's that's my version of justice. So yeah. yeah, there's always there's the thank you for the life that I have now, but also that wee bit of revenge of like, I'm gonna haunt you. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> okay. Who quick fire question, who is someone like we see with Fleet Horror, we wanna think of like women who have inspired us when we're younger, but it can be men too, but who's someone that comes to mind that really kinda helped you believe that you could achieve things in the future? Yeah, Who's my grandpa's always the pinnacle, right? I'll always, he always has his spot in terms of women. There's two women in my life who really come to mind. Um, my Auntie Liz is the first one. My Auntie Liz was just like, her and my, my cousin Mandy, her daughter, just career women. They still had children, mm -hmm. but career-driven women. Mandy's a very successful um, partner in a law firm. Manti Liz was really high up in the steel industry. Um, they always drove nice cars. They always had designer yeah. clothes. They would go on nice holidays, but they were strong, fierce women yeah. who showed to me that you can have it all. You can have a yeah. family. You can have a career. Work hard. You can work hard. Mm -hmm. You will never let a man treat you like you're not worthy. Um, and for me, they were such huge role models as a child and understanding you don't have to sacrifice what you want to meet the the societal expectations of who you should be yeah um so they're first and then second one for me is my mentor Sharon yeah because she just sort of carried that torch through into my professional life yeah. as well um never letting a man speak over me in a meeting yeah. and calling them out if they do yeah. um never being scared to you know say how I feel and never allowing somebody to tell me that I was being emotional never telling allowing men to tell me I was being aggressive when I was being yeah. assertive um so they come to mind as the people who have really nurtured who I am as a woman today yeah, yeah, big time amazing and I feel like that's just going to be so much more for like the next generation after us oh, having Karen's totally. like I feel like there's so many more Karen's <laughs> I feel like we are like yes no we're you so can do fierce. it don't let anyone speak to you that way it's, it's so strong now that I think like coming up it's, it's exciting and it's totally. nice that more women are going to be feeling empowered so totally. yeah totally. thank you honestly so thank much you. you've helped me so many ways personally which we'll maybe cover another day if I can ever Absolutely. squeeze you back <laughs> Absolutely. I promise I'll not speak for as long next time <laughs> <laughs> but I just like that story is just so powerful and if we know we can help one person from sharing that it's it's so so worth it so thank totally. you for your time today you. and everyone else thank you so much for listening and Jen are you okay if anyone was to message and ask you any questions oh, regarding absolutely. today she might talk your ear off but <laughs> I will, I will. <laughs> no but no that's great I'll share um, Jen's details in the podcast description we hope you've enjoyed today's episode and taken something away um, but thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you all very soon bye, bye. <laughs>